4 and verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Am I going too fast? Amen. When you're there, say amen. Amen. And 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18 reads as thus, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, if is a big word my mom used to say, right? You could if yourself to death, my mom used to say. <laughs> you know, if this happens, if that happens, if the sky falls, if, if there's an earthquake, if, 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 if. For if we believe, and we do believe, don't we? That Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. We have that assurance today. For this we say unto you, you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. With a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Everybody say together. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore... Comfort one another with these words. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you today, Lord, that you would allow this vessel, O oh God, to be used for your glory, to minister, to encourage, to edify, and to lift up this people, Father, to leave us with something today, some nugget, O oh God, something that will challenge us, Lord Jesus. Take us further. Take us deeper, Lord, to, to the place where you would have us to be, Father. And all this we pray. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands to the Lord as you're seated this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Let's turn in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. Starting in verse 1. Going to go through about verse 14. And so we're going to be reading about the parable of the hired laborers. Okay? For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that was in householder. Some people, Some call this the parable of the householder. which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto the vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out 
about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. They never agreed on an amount, but they understood they were going to receive a reward for their work. Right? Again, he went about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye into also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that will ye receive. I'm not asking you to work for free. You're going to have, I'm going to reward you with something. Right? So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning with the last unto the first. And when they came, they were that were hired about the the eleventh hour, they received every one a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and the and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. We've been out here for 12 hours. They only worked an hour. But he answered and said unto them, and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for one for a penny? Take that thine take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. And so why are you at, you ask yourself why am I reading that story? Well, we're going to talk about that and so so if as a title to this message, this is what I felt like the Lord told me to speak to you and talk to you about today is heaven is my goal, but the kingdom is my purpose. Heaven is my goal, but the kingdom is my purpose. We sing a lot of songs about heaven. There's people have been writing songs about heaven for years. There's southern gospel songs about heaven. There's all kinds of songs about there about heaven. Even in the rock and roll industry, they wrote a song about heaven. So there's plenty there out there to sing and to, and to to lift up the idea of there being a heaven. There are songs about going to heaven, about when we all get to heaven, and so on. Heaven, by all means, should be our ultimate goal, and I believe it is. Anybody not have heaven as their goal, their ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal is not a physical place necessarily, but our ultimate goal is to be raptured out of here 
and to spend our eternity in the presence of Almighty God, in the face of the only one, the only God we're ever going to see in heaven, or in wherever heaven is, in that place where he said he made, he, he created mansions, he's building mansions, he said, we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, right? But we need to be careful that we don't, that we don't find ourselves focusing on nothing but heaven. Right? To the detriment of the reason we were called here, which is what? The kingdom. Luke 9, 57. Praise God. Luke 9, 57 says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, the implication is, I'll follow you, but suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead, let the spiritually dead, bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto them, No man, no person, having his hand, put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face in every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, Jesus is, these are words in red. So Jesus has a prayer request right here. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. And so who is he talking to here? He's really talking to us because the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And immediately in this story, he's talking to those in that time and in this story, but the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And so this is a this message has been transferred through the eons and decades and centuries to us. He's telling us that we are those laborers. And he said that he's sending us forth as sheep among wolves. And he knowingly is doing that. 
But what is he saying by saying that? To me, he's saying, I know I'm sending you a sheep among wolves, but I'm sending you. And he asked this prayer request, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. And we read the story before this about the, the, the householder that, that couldn't get enough people to harvest the field. And then even an hour before the sun went down, he was still sending people out into the field to gather the harvest. And then, lo and behold, some of the people that had been out there for 12 hours complained about their reward. The Bible says, great is your reward in heaven. Reward for what? For just coming to church? For just receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name? What are we being rewarded for? What's the purpose of a reward? When you, we're talking about kids in school or, or a runner on a track team, what's the purpose of the reward? You have to have done something to earn the reward. You don't just get a participation award. Sorry. We're all members of the kingdom. We're all laborers together with God, the Bible says. We're fellow laborers. Shouldn't we all be doing the same amount of work? And it's God's business. If somebody's been laboring for 40, 50 years, winning souls, reaching out to people, teaching Bible studies, and you come along as a new convert, and you get filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, and a month goes by, and then the rapture happens, and all you had time to do was win one soul, you get the same reward as that same person that did 40 years of that, sacrificing, gave up things. And, and do you think they have room to complain? Not really. Not really. Did that person that, that was only in church a month before the rapture happened, did they have the same opportunity? Did they have the same, did they put forth the same effort as that one that did it for 40 years? Probably so. They went out with a zeal and they found one person. Said, I gotta tell you what happened. I gotta tell you. I can't wait to tell you. Man, oh man, I used to do this and I used to smoke and drink and cuss and run around with people and now I don't anymore. Just, just from a weekend of going to a church service somebody invited me to and man, it has transformed and revolutionized my life. And they win one soul and then the rapture happens. Great is your reward in heaven. The angels, the angels, they rejoice over one soul that repents. It doesn't even talk about being filled with just if they repent. You get one person to say, you know what? Man, my life is a mess. You're right. I need Jesus. Right? Luke twelve twenty nine to 32 says, And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye doubtful of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, for your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. 
God knows what we have need of. He already knows what you have need. He already knows what's going on in your life. He already knows the struggles. Some of them he might have sent to you like he sent to Paul. Those messengers of Satan to buffet us and help us stay humble. But he sees what you're going through. And he tells us here, don't worry about it. Don't be of a doubtful mind. You're serving the living and almighty God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Don't worry about it. He, your father knows that you have need of all these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean just walk, go around looking for it like, where's Waldo? Seek it. Seek after it. Like we were talking about this morning. Immerse yourself. Find it. Where is it? I want to know. What is the kingdom of God? How do I get there? And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But you've got to get out there. If, if I'm a farmer and I take the seed out of the barn and I put it in the little pod things on the, on the tractor and I take it out in the field and I sow the seed and at the end of the season when the corn is all grown up or the barley or whatever is all grown up, if I just stand there and look at that field and go, Man, that is an awesome harvest. It's not a harvest. I'm sorry to have to tell you that. If it's still sitting in the field hanging on the vine, it's it's not a harvest. You have to go out there and get it. Right? Am I right? Then it becomes a harvest after you, you know, when somebody needs a, a field harvested, let's say, I'm from Kentucky, let's say tobacco. They need laborers. And this pastor of this church has talked about this with cotton and tobacco. They don't care if you have a college degree or not. They don't care about a lot of the ex- external things. that They don't care. Your qualifications are, can you walk? Can you talk? Can you hear? Can you be at work on time? Can you bend over and stand back up and lift 40 pounds? You're hired because they just need people out there to hang to cut that stuff down and hang it and bale that hay and put it on the truck they just need laborers people to lift and and carry and haul and, and throw and all those kind of things and that's what the lord is telling us he needs laborers he said pray that the lord of the harvest would send forth laborers i think i taught this before that that word right there where he said pray ye therefore the lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers that word there that send forth is the same word as eject, like force. Push them out there. Get them out there. Pray ye therefore the Lord that he'll send forth, that he'll, he'll, he'll compel people to become laborers. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't teach Bible study. Yeah, well, maybe he didn't ask you to do that. Some plant. Some water, but who gives the increase? But we got a plan. He expects us to be his hands and his feet. You know, Casting Crowns sings that song, but if we are the body, why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? Why aren't his He goes on and on in that song. We we are the body. We are his hands and his feet. We are the ones, the human element he needs. To reach this world. 
All you got to do is go back to the book of Acts chapter 2, 39 through 47 and read that and memorize that. Because what does it say they did? After 3,120 people were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, what did they do? Immediately. They didn't have to go through leadership class. I'm not knocking leadership class. They didn't have to go through Bible school. They didn't have to go through any kind of training. They were released to go. Where did they go? From house to house to house to house to the marketplace. They didn't go to a building. Church and buildings didn't start until Constantine. That was around three or four, four hundred. Somewhere in there, 300 B.C., 300 A.D. So they didn't have church in a building. And if they did try to go to the synagogue, they got run off. Because that was totally against what the Jews were still trying to teach. So they were forced to go from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And one translation, it says, such as were being saved. How were they being saved? Somebody was sitting down with them. They didn't have a Bible like we do. They didn't have one of these. They had, All they had was the only written thing they had was Scripture, the original Old Testament Scripture and the words of the man that of these books that we read now. So it was all by word of mouth. Most of those people weren't even educated. They couldn't even read. So everything had to be by word of mouth. By the testimony. We overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. And they were persecuted and they were ridiculed and they were beaten. And they were excited that it happened to them. <laughs> but you you know what? They couldn't. They wouldn't have been beaten and persecuted and ridiculed. And, you know, I heard one preacher say that all of these disciples in the New Testament that launched this church... Their retirement plan was to be killed. Some of them burned, some of them chopped up, some of them hung upside down, all kind of sawed asunder, put in a, a pot of hot boiling oil. I mean, that was their retirement plan. They didn't have any savings account. They didn't get to retire with a boat in Florida. They, that, their men, they was it. Everything that they did was about the kingdom. Nothing else mattered. That's what Jesus put into them. Luke 14, verse 15 to 24. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. <sighs> the first said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. And I pray thee, have me excused. I'll do it, but... Not today, God. I, I got some stuff I got to do on, that's on my schedule, okay? And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. God, it's a, you know, I'm a farmer, God, and I need these oxen, and I, I got to go 
try them and prove them. So pray. Just as soon as I do that, God, though, I'll be right with you. I pray thee have me excused. They didn't totally, like, walk away and quit. They just said, just just give me a few more minutes. Right? And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) So that that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house began being angry, and rightfully so. Who's the master of the house in this story? Amen. Go out quickly under the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. There's still room. We still need more laborers. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go unto the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Anybody, anything that, that's moving and breathing, bring it in here that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. God forbid that we have come into the kingdom for such a time as this and that we were called to do something because God didn't just call us. He didn't just save us to just sit us on a seat somewhere. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not, but I believe this, that he has a goal and a purpose, a very specific goal and purpose for every single one of us, a ministry, if you want to call it that, that we're supposed to be doing in God's mind. He already sees our life at the end, so he already knows that what we're supposed to be doing from salvation to the end. If we're not seeking to find what that is and doing it with all of our energy and all of our might, guess what's going to happen? He'll just let you sit there. And he'll go find somebody else. He'll go to the highways and the hedges. He'll go find the blind, the halt, the maimed, the lame. God forbid that my my purpose in this kingdom is replaced by somebody that can't even see or walk or hear. But that's the best that God could do if I won't get up and do what he's called me to do. Our goal is heaven. We're not supposed to stay focused on heaven our whole entire time on this earth. It's about his kingdom. The Bible talks about there being a great harvest in the last days. Where do you think we are right now? Where sin does abound, the Bible says. What is, if you just, whether you have a TV or not, if you just look at the news, if you, I, I get a lot of my news off the internet. If you just pay attention just a little bit of what's going on in this world, it just seems like it's just going berserk crazy. I mean, they're coming out with statistics that are saying the millennials and people like that believe less and less and less in, in things of God and faith and, and all those kind of things. And it just seems like it's hopeless. Why bother? Right? And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. But the Bible says, sorry, devil, where sin doth abound, grace does much more abound. The darker it gets, the the lighter it gets. And I'm telling you right now, they might be saying out on on the surface that they don't believe this, they don't believe that, and, and all this stuff. But I'm telling you right now, there are some hurting, hungry people that are just waiting for somebody like us to come along 
and give them something that's real, that they can't argue with. Because I'm going to tell you something. This is real. And if it's, if you got it deep down in here, and if you're just, if your convictions are so strong about this, when you get in front of them, there's no way they're going to doubt what you're saying. And if they do, that's not your problem. Because the Bible says, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. In Acts, it says, that they went from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship together, and the Lord added to the church. It's His church. It's their choice. Yes, people are going to turn away from you. They might even spit in your face. They might even tall off and, and knock you down. Get away from me. You just, you think about Jesus and all He went through when that happens, and you just get yourself back up. And you wipe yourself off and you smile and say, well, God loves you. And you move on to the next one. Because there's a coming a time. There's coming a time, I'm telling you. Revelation 21, 1 through 3 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Wait, I thought heaven was up there. <clears throat> See, there's not a lot in the Bible about where heaven exactly is, is there? It's a place. We all know there. We all, we're trying to get there. Streets of gold, gates of pearl and all that, and mansions and all that. It mentions all that, but it doesn't specifically say where it is. And if God is a spirit who inhabits all space and time, how can there be a place? Uh, Like a, you know, and I heard a great voice of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with Man, wait a minute. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Solomon speaks of the awesomeness of Almighty God in Second Chronicles 2.6 when he poses the question as he was about to build the house for God to dwell in. This is what he says. But who is able to build him a house? Seeing that heaven and earth, seeing that the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice unto him? God inhabits heaven and the heaven of heavens can't contain him. So is it possible that heaven is not a physical place? Not in the sense of what we understand. God's a spirit. He inhabits all space and time. It could be anywhere. Right? That's something for another day. It's not in a static place. It's not in a pinpointable location, is it? Luke chapter 14, verse 15 through 24 says, And when one of them had that sat at meat heard him, uh, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall... Oh, I already read that, didn't I? <laughs> Praise God. Well, maybe we need to... <laughs> Jesus promised us that he was going to prepare a place for us, didn't he? 
And where was he going to prepare that place? Where did he go when he left this earth? He went to that holy heavenly tabernacle, and he became the sacrifice and the high priest. And he is in that place today, in God's dwelling place, wherever that is. The heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, so I don't know where that is. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be stirred up or disturbed. Don't be all worried and concerned and fretting. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, wherever that is, there you may be also. Our goal needs to be heaven, doesn't it? To be in the presence of God, to, to, to cast our crowns before him and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain and all those things that we're going to say. We're just going to want to be in front of him and worshiping him. <clears throat> I'm not going to want to ask him any questions. I'm not. It's just going to be so awesome to be in front of him. <clears throat> John 14 and 12, down further in that scripture says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Well, we could go on. I mean, the Bible says that there's not enough volumes of the books written that could cover all the stuff that Jesus did when he walked on this earth, when he only had his ministry for three and a half years, three years. And he did so much stuff that there's not enough books or volumes that could be written to record it all. And he's telling us here that that these works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works shall he do, because I go to my Father. Where did he say this? He was about, he was getting ready to leave. He was trying to get his disciples ready to take over the program, to take over the business. And so he was trying to encourage them. You think this stuff is awesome. You just wait. Greater works than these shall you do. I heard a testimony one time about a, it might have been a, a youth group from Texas or someplace, but uh, this preacher was talking about how this youth group was, they walked so, they were just such an awesome youth group and they just walked so close to God and they just had an, this awesome thing going on where they, they had this, they they prayed together, they did everything, they fasted together and they went into this mall and were just walking through the mall, just a bunch of young people praying and just talking to people, praying and, you know, and one thing led to another and somebody had a heart attack or something like that happened in this mall and, and you know, people immediately started calling the mall security and 911 and all these young people from this apostolic church ran over there and they all just started laying hands and praying on this guy and everybody in the mall is going, what are they doing? They're freaking out. What are, what are you all doing? Well, we're praying. What does it look like we're doing? And do you know what? As the story went in that in that message, that guy that had that heart attack got up, and the EMT showed up, and there was nothing wrong with him. And there was no pastor around. (laughs) 
They were just exercising their faith. And not just, that's just, just me. God just, God gave them an opportunity to do that. So that he could show forth his greatness and power in front of a mall full of people. Do you think that affected anybody in that mall? I'm sure it did. I didn't hear the rest of that story. But I guarantee you, just as sure as when we went down to that East China Sea to baptize somebody, nearly every Sunday that I was there, five and a half years, nearly, I mean nearly every Sunday, at least one person, sometimes two or three, were getting baptized in Jesus' name in that East China Sea. And that Sunday was the big day to go scuba diving and to hang around at the seawall and drink beer and do all the stuff that everybody out there in the world wanted to do. And here we all show up looking like this. And we're marching, two or three of us are marching this person out to find, and usually the tide was out. So you had to go find a tidal pool that was deep enough to dunk somebody all the way under. So they might have to go several hundred yards out. So where the rest of us, we're all out there standing on the seawall, singing, and there's a new name written down in glory, and all this kind of stuff. And pe- sure as we were standing there, people would walk up and go, hey, what are you all doing? Oh, we're, that guy out there is going to get baptized in Jesus' name. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Right? We won more souls that way. Because they would watch, some of them would just stand back and watch. And as soon as that person would come up out of the water, what do you think happened? Everybody on the shore is going, yeah, hallelujah, in our suits and dresses. And they're going, they're all excited because that guy just got wet. Isn't that what you would think if you weren't didn't know? We won more Japanese and more Americans that way. Hallelujah. Some of them are still serving God today in Okinawa, in Japan. Okay? So we had to get out of our building. It was such a blessing to not have a baptismal tank in our building. It was. We had a, a free stage to go out and preach the gospel every Sunday. Hallelujah. So heaven is our goal, but the kingdom is what we're here for. So we're not called here just to seek heaven. Are you in this room today, are you satisfied to accept the the fact that there are people right now in this city that that they are heading to a devil's hell right now? They're, they're not, they're paddling their own boat there. And you're, you're okay with that. You're okay with that. Hey, we got, I got what I want. I got my Holy Ghost. I got baptized in Jesus' name. Good enough for me. God help you. There's 51,000 plus people, plus however many students just showed up for college in this city right now. And I'm, when I say this city, that's just lacrosse. There's another 18,000 or so in Alaska, and there's another 5,000 or so in West Salem, and there's another, I don't know how many, in Holman. 
These are all connected community Sparta and just, and we're okay that they're going to a place that was, the Bible says it was created for the devil and his angels. It never says it was created for humans. And your, their human spirit is going to spend eternity in a place like that. And I may have said this before, but I think the more than the fire and brimstone and all the screaming and hollering is going to be the knowledge that you had the chance and you didn't take it. But how do they know that they even have a chance if the, nobody ever gives it to them, if nobody ever preaches the gospel? And that's my prayer since I've been here. God, at least give them a chance to hear it from somebody. At least give them a chance to hear it and decide if they want it or not. At least they had a chance to hear it. At least they had an opportunity to make a decision. No, I don't want that. Then that's on them. We move on to somebody else. He said that in the scripture, didn't he say he would that all men might be saved? He said that. But I think Jesus knows that all men aren't going to be saved, but we at least need to give them an opportunity to hear it. And that you're going to come to those moments where that, it's just, maybe this just happens to me, that fear wells up where you don't, ah, the devil's like, don't say anything. Shut up. They don't want to hear that. That's the wrong kind of person. Don't tell them. When you hear that, <laughs> that's either you or the devil. It ain't Jesus. <laughs> Amen. When he saved us and delivered us from the power of sin and Satan, he called us and commissioned us to do a job. He commissioned and he commanded us to go, to baptize, to teach, and to disciple people so that they could in turn do the same thing. And I'm going to move on here. He made our purpose the advancement of the kingdom. We are, the Bible says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not just to, so that we can say we got it. Amen? Jesus talking to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 19 said, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were he, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Again, peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so send I you. What was he telling them? Get out of this house. Stop being afraid of the Jews. Stop being afraid of, of, the, of all the things that are going on, the, the things that have, that have pop, popped up and cropped up in your life to cause you to feel fear. Stop. Just go. He just told them to go. 
Acts 1, verse 4 through 8 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. This was probably the only time where he told his disciples to hang out and wait. Don't do anything right now. Don't do any outreach. Just wait. Go to the upper room. Wait for the promise of the Father. He was getting ready to to endow them with something that was just going to blow the world's mind and theirs. And when they did, as soon as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were all released to just go to the highways, to the hedges, to their neighbors, to their friends, to how, from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship together with all the people so that the Lord could add to the church and such as should be saved. Acts 6 and 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples were multiplied, they went from addition to multiplication, and the Word of God in Acts 6 and 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Acts 9.31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Doesn't it seem like, if we're living in the book of Acts, church, which we are, because the book of Acts never ends, so we're still the book of Acts church, are we not? Are we? Everybody? So we're, we're still supposed to be doing exactly the same thing that those first converts did on the day of Pentecost on that day. Are we not? So what are we waiting for? Jesus told us to go. Yeah, our goal is heaven. I want to get to heaven. And I want to take as many people with me with me as I can. I can't make somebody be saved. You know, there's this guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a professor of clinical psychology. Does talks all over this country. He's from Canada. And he made this profound statement in this little video I was watching. You can't fix other people. You can only fix yourself. Now, why am I saying that? I can only save myself. I have to make decisions for me. I can't decide if you're going to be saved or not. What I can do, though, is I can take what I have and what I know and my testimony and the word that I do know, and I can at least make an effort. Do you believe that if you'll make the effort that God will bless you? It will blow your mind, I'm telling you right now. You'll think, uh, there's no way i got to have my Bible with me, because you'll have situations where you won't have it with you. 
And that's not even an excuse anymore. I don't have my cell phone. If you, I'm sorry, but if you got a cell phone, you got a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible app on your, on, that's the right kind of cell phone. If you don't have a Bible app on your smartphone, shame on you. That's just me. But you should have one on there. Right? So you can say, hold on a minute. Right? You don't have, we don't have an excuse not to have a Bible with us. We don't. And those opportunities are going to come and we got to be ready to give an answer. That's what we're here for. He's going to, he's got all the other stuff taken care of. We're going to make it. If the righteous shall scarcely be saved, it's us. Where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Once again, are you okay with people going to hell? And you're standing there and you're driving by and walking by them and you're doing nothing. <clears throat> well, how do I know how to, you know, what to do, how to minister? What? I want to go to Matthew 25. I love this scripture. Matthew 25:31 says, "And when the Son of man shall come in all of his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory." And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Next verse. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. See, it's already prepared. Keep going. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer. The righteous will answer this. Saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? Keep going. When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Keep going. And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Here's your answer. Here's your answer. <laughs> And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it, what is it? Any of those things. Until one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Anybody outside the doors of this church that doesn't have the Holy Ghost and is not baptized in Jesus' name, as far as I'm concerned, they are one of the least because why? We are all made in the image of our Creator. So they are all out there. I don't care how much beer they've drank today or in their lifetime. They are made in the image of God. 
and they are they whatsoever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the king also shall answer and say unto them, Verily, then shall he say unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See right there? It's, it's not prepared for man. It's prepared for devils and his angels. For I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Not sick and in prison, and you visited me. Not. Then shall they answer also the same. They're standing there. They're dumbfounded as the the righteous were. What? Lord, when saw we thee hungry and thirsty and a stranger and naked and sick and in prison and did not minister unto thee? What are you talking about, Jesus? Then shall he answer them and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. All these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Wow. The righteous didn't even know. They had no clue that when they were ministering to the needs of somebody on this earth, that they were, it was like they were ministering to Jesus. They were doing ministry and didn't even know it. And Jesus, the, the king, which is, this story is about Jesus, he had to tell them. When you did it, when you did this, when you did this, when you visited them in prison, when you visited the widows and orphans in their afflictions, you were doing it unto me. It's not, sometimes it's not going to be a Bible study on the first, second, or third visit. <laughs> sometimes it's just going to be getting to know somebody. You build up to that. And you wait for God to give you the green light to go ahead and drop you just drop little nuggets and little seeds along the way and little scriptures along the way. You let God, you, you, you water that with tears and with prayer. You go, you go from that, that chance meeting or that, that planned meeting and you say, God, give them a hunger, give them a thirst. Somebody prayed that for you, trust me. Cause we just aren't born with that. And they aren't either and they've been blinded. What does the Bible say? who have been blinded by the enemy at his will. He's got blinders on them, just like Paul did. He had religious blinders on his eyes. He couldn't see that what he was doing was so wrong. And God had a way of getting a hold of him. Now, I, this is just me. But those people, that were those saints of God with Ananias and all the other ones that were praying, God, get him out of here. He's killing us, literally. They were praying for Paul. Were they not? And God sort of answered their prayer. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about Paul. I'm just not gonna do what you said. I got plans for Paul. Just like he's got plans for you. He had plans for Paul that they didn't know about and Paul didn't know about. And when it was time was right, God instituted the plan. And what was the first thing he did? He got his attention, and then he took the blindness away by blinding him. So that he would stop, slow down, and consider what he was doing, where he was going. I just doesn't say this, but I just believe God was talking to him the whole time until Ananias showed up. 
because he didn't eat anything, he didn't drink anything. They and they had to they had to walk him to some place so he could just kind of hang out. And from the minute Ananias got there, I want to be that guy, don't you, Ananias? He even tried to get out of going to teach the Bible study. And God said, "Don't worry. I'm not only are you going to go talk to Paul and you're going to baptize him, but I'm going to tell you to tell him things that he's going to go through and suffer for my namesake." You ever felt like could you send somebody else? Maybe not me, God. Maybe somebody else. No, you're the one. I don't work where you work. You don't work where I work. I don't live where you live. I don't have those neighbors. You do. It's up to us. Not this man's job that stands in this pulpit right here. To win everybody. It's our job. Go out to the highways. I don't think he's made it where we can't do that. Do you? That's, I don't think so. We're, we're, we, we have the liberty to do that, don't we? To bring people in here and to, to win them and to build relationships with them and teach them home Bible studies and, and try to convince them that this is so much of a better life than the one they're living. Right? And then we just bring them in here and that just solidifies what we've already said. Let's, let's all stand in this place. Whether you believe it or not, God's trying. He's talking to us. Not trying. He is.